0: Well, today is Vision Sunday, it's Vision Sunday. So over the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm gonna talk about vision. This has become an annual thing here at Renewal, and I do this on purpose every year, and the reason being is because, family, what tends to happen in the midst of everything that we're going through, our day-to-day jobs, our lives, our families, our households, all those different things, what tends to happen is that we start to lose vision, we start to lack, vision, and, and hear me, I'm not just talking about the vision of the church. We begin to lose vision in all different parts of our lives, whether that be vision for your marriage, your school, your household, your job, lastly, our relationship with Jesus Christ. Sadly, in all of those places, what tends to happen because of our day-to-day lives is that we lose vision. We lose vision. So this morning, as we get into this, I want to talk about vision because here's the truth. In everything we do, we should have a vision. We should have vision. And and see, that's where it becomes problematic, though, because most of us either don't know what vision is or we don't have vision, period. We just know how to do, 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 do. We wake up the next morning after going to bed the night before and we do the same thing over and over again. We, We don't have vision. We lack it. Hear me, vision tells you where you're going, your mission in life tells you how you're going to get there. So you gotta have both, you can't have one or the other, you can't just be a doer and not have vision. See, we lack vision a lot of times. Hear me, vision takes time, takes a lot of prayer. It's not just a plan that you come up with, it's very different than a plan. Vision changes lives. Vision calls people higher and to a new place in their life that they might not have gone if they didn't have vision. It impacts not only the person with the vision, but the people around them too. But a plan, on the other hand, is just something that you put in place to help you execute or get to a certain place. It's not the same thing as vision, so don't mix the two up. Y'all just saw that vision video. I love that video. It's older. It's the first vision video we had before we, we started the church. But every time I see it, tears come to my eyes because that's a vision that God, if you saw, it started with my childhood which means that God was brewing this thing. He was stirring the pot for a, a long time since I was a kid growing up in, in Gary, Indiana. And, and now, he, as he was shaping and, and molding me, all the while, he's starting to try to write this story where now all of us get to partake in this thing called renewal. See, that's the vision. It, it started when I was a kid. Our vision here at Renewal, if you don't know what it is to renew, Hearts by the power of the gospel, rebuild lives through discipleship, and release people for city impact. That's the longer vision. We really want to renew and rebuild people to send them out through the work and the power of Jesus Christ. See, see, the truth of the matter is, is that we don't want to just be a church that sits in the city. We want to be a church that's for the city, which means that we seek the welfare of this city. So if God saw fit or for some reason said, I'm going to remove renewal out of the city, the city would miss us. We miss us because we were so for the city and seeing the betterment of the city. Not just about us. It's not just about what happens in these four walls. It's about what happens out in the city, in the highways, in the byways, as the old church folks used to say. We, we got to go out there into the streets and see this city different because we're here. See, we're a church that desires to see the walls of division broken down all throughout the city, whether that be politics, socioeconomics, racial divide. This city is very divided, and we want to see the church be the one that stands on the front lines and knocks those walls down to where people can come together from all different walks of life under the banner of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, hear me. This does not mean that we sacrifice anything that is essential to the gospel. Or in other words, we, we don't take away from what Jesus did. We don't take away from what the Bible did, but instead we, we, we try to emphasize what he did by living the way he did. And what I mean is, is that if you take a, a, just a brief study of the gospel Gospels of Mark, John, Luke, Matthew, if you go through the Gospels and you look at the life of Jesus, there's been no other person like Jesus, that, that, that stood on the front lines of all these different divides and, and brought all different types of people to himself. He didn't let anything get in the way of talking to Mary Magdalene or talking to the Samaritan woman, all these people that are different than him. And he stepped over the line. He, he, he just busted through the line like running a race through the, through the tape. He goes through the line to meet these people where they are in order to bring them to himself. See, all throughout the Bible, God reconciles different people from all different walks of life. And in Revelations, it says that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be in heaven. They will be worshiping God, will be in heaven together, which means that black and white people won't be divided, but they'll be worshiping, singing songs in Spanish and in Mandarin Chinese. And we won't care, even though we might not even know the words, because you know why? Our affections are all consumed, and they're satisfied by a holy God. And see, here's the thing. As I said in the video, if we're called to be image bearers of a holy God, an almighty God, that brings people all together and and, and created all different types of people, and if heaven is going to be with all these, it's going to have all these different types of people in it, no division, if that's what heaven's going to be like, and if Jesus crossed all these different lines of division, drawing people to himself, then why not seek to do the same thing on earth as believers? Why not seek to have a little piece of heaven on earth? Why not? So over these next two weeks, we're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about the mission of renewal, And next week, at the end of my sermon, I'm going to do a a membership call. Some of you all, this may be new. This may be weird to you. Some of you all, this is old hat. This happened every day at church. The church doors are open. This is what we're going to do next week. So I'm letting you know so you don't get weirded out when it happens next week. All right? We're going to do a membership call. So, So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be in prayer over the next weeks. Over a couple weeks, because some of you all have been here for a while, maybe some months, and you have not committed or said I want to be a member, but you're trying. You want to be a member here at Renewal, and some of you all maybe this is your first or second week, and you're like I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to be a part of what God is doing. If that's you, I really want you to be prayerful over the next couple of weeks. I want you to listen to what we're talking about today. I want you to listen about what we talk about next week. And if that's you, and this is where God would have you next week, I'm gonna do an altar call at the end of my sermon, and I'm gonna ask you to come forward and join our church. Now, I don't do this all the time. I don't do this all the time, but this is somewhat of an expedited way, if you wanna say, to kinda jump in with us here at Renewal. And for those of you that have already jumped in with us here, thank you. Thank you for being at our church. Thank you for covenanting with us and committing to what God is doing here. And for you that just came and said, I'm not ready to jump in, that's okay. What I want both of you all to do in either one of those categories, I don't want you to tune me out over the next couple weeks. Because these messages, what I'm talking about here, is for you too. We all need vision, amen? We all need vision. So today what I wanna look at is I wanna look at John chapter 15 verses one through 11 because as we think about the vision here at Renewal, it begins and it ends with Jesus. Nothing that happens with, here without Jesus' work in our lives, in anything family, Nothing happens here in our lives, in the life of this church, without Jesus' work. So today I want to take a look at what Jesus says to us as a church when we think about vision. And next week we're going to look at how this vision of abiding in Christ practically should be lived out. So we're going to look at that next week. So flip with me to John chapter 15 if you haven't got there already. And as you're flipping, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me clearly if you've missed it already. Nothing that we do as a church. We can do nothing, family, as a church apart from Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we can't do things, we can't accomplish any things, but what I'm talking about is that we can do nothing of eternal value apart from Christ. Nothing. Nothing. We can do church programs, we can do worship, we can do groups, I can preach eloquent messages every week, but if it's apart from Christ, y'all hear me, it's all in vain. It's going to soon fade away and mean nothing. So the question that we're left with is, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean to abide in Christ? So to answer that, we're going to look at John chapter 15. If you got it, I'm going to ask you go ahead and stand on your feet if you're able as we read the word of God together we are going to read the first 11 verses in John chapter 15. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Got it. Starting in verse 1, the text reads, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not bear fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In the very words of God, amen? Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic abiding. Everybody say abiding. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good, good God, and we give you all the praise and all the glory, God. Lord, I just ask that you fill my body, that you speak with my mouth, and that you would decrease me, and that you would increase in this place. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus, and have your way in this place. You are a good Father, and we thank you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Well, when I think about where we are as a church, I think about our vision, namely where we are right now. Can I be honest with you all this morning? Church planning and starting a church has been one of the the hardest, most humbling, humiliating things I've ever had to do in my life. But it's also been one of the most fruitful things I've done. And this passage right here, John chapter 15, has become a staple in my life because I have come to know the pruning of God in a very real and hard way. When my wife and I moved to the city, We had high hopes for renewal. We come to plant this church. We had all these big dreams of what this church is going to be. We still do, but we thought we had all the chips in line. We were ready to go. We thought we had the money. We had the the perfect staff team. We we had the people. We had the perfect building. We had all the, everything was perfect because if you know anything about me, some of y'all might know me, some of you don't know me, but I, I, I tend to have this mentality of I could take on the world and I could do anything that's in front of me, I can make it happen, and which, which then causes kind of, it, it kind of keeps this, I have this unrealistic, <laughs> just understanding of my surroundings because of that, but it also makes me a great visionary leader. But on the flip side, I tend to probably climb hills that I shouldn't climb at times. I bump my head a lot. So in actuality, When I looked at the church, when we look back and we see what actually happened, it didn't play out the way we thought it would. In actuality, the church began with just me and Kaylee. We we didn't have a whole bunch of people. It was just us two. We just parachuted on up in here. A month before we started the church, the building that we were going to start in fell out. So we're scrambling, trying to find a building. So we didn't have the perfect location. We don't have the people. Then we get into the church, a month into the church, then our staff gets a little shaky. So there goes the staff team. I mean, having, having to let people go or, or hire new people within the first year of a church plant is not desirable or at all ideal. And I found myself in this lonely place that I feel like I've never been before, more lonely than I ever have been in my life. And I begin to sit back and ask God, Why are you doing this? What are you doing, God? You called me to this city. You gave me this vision to plant this church called Renewal. But now I look around or inside of me, I feel like everything is falling apart. But see, when you looked at the church in actuality, it didn't really look like it was falling apart. I mean, people were coming to the church. The church was growing. But see, what was happening is that God was was pruning the church. He was pruning the church, and most of all, y'all, he was pruning me. He's pruning me. See, see, while I was going through all this, I came across a fellow church planner, and, and he said, D, you know what? People don't really tell you about your church. You know that people are gonna come and go and all that, but you know what people really don't tell you is that God is going to prune the church, meaning that He's gonna get rid of people or let people go or move them out of the way so they leave the church and then what's going to happen in turn is he's going to bring new people into the church and they're going to push this thing forward. They're going to cause it to flourish. But he said don't miss this Derek because on the other side what really got, what's really important to God, what he's really doing, don't miss it, is that he's really got to prune the heart of the leader. He's really got to prune the heart of the leader. And, and, And he said God needs to get the leader to a place where he not only knows that he's received a vision from God, but he knows that that very vision is God's. And if he knows it's God's, then now he might be used to carry out the vision, but the only way the vision is going to take place is if he truly trusts God beyond a shadow of a doubt. Folks, God had to prune my heart. He had to prune me, to prepare me for what he was trying to do here with this church what he really wanted to do in Chicago. And guess what? He's still pruning me. He's still working. Let me ask you, I mean, have you ever felt like God was pruning you? And what I mean is that you feel like you've been doing all the right things. You might be in a place where you feel like you're doing all the great things in life, but you still feel like things are hard around you. You're not necessarily messing up things, it just feels hard. Have you ever been in that place before? Feel like everything's right, but it still feels hard, or better yet, painful things keep trying, keep happening to you. Or or maybe you're in this place where you feel like you're lonely and you can't even explain why you're lonely. You just feel that, y'all ever been there before? Let me help you out. God may be pruning you. Let me say it again. God, God may be pruning you, preparing you for something, something he's trying to do in your life. And see, here's the thing. You, you, you shouldn't run from it. Sometimes you need to sit your tail right there in the midst of that pruning, as hard as it can be, and, and as the text says, abide in Christ. Because he may be doing something right there. And you may not be able to see it, but God is doing something in your life because the reality is, is that nothing that we do unless done with Christ or absolute trust in God will last. And what I mean by last is last for all eternity. You can do all you want, but if it's done apart from Christ, it's not going to last. So here's what I don't want you to miss, hear me, in doing anything in life that matters. We need to abide in Christ. So the question still remains, what does it mean to abide in Christ? As we jump into this text, this is the last of Jesus' seven I.M. statements where he's making these divine statements about who he actually is. And this one right here begins in verse 1, and he says, I am the true vine. He says, I'm the true vine. See, what Jesus is referring to is Old Testament Israel, or the covenant people, God's covenant people, where throughout Scripture, Israel had been referred to as the vine or the vineyard. They were to produce fruit, but since they had not been producing fruit throughout the ages, what ended up happening is that many times it resulted in divine judgment. So what Jesus is saying right here is that because of the failures of the people not producing fruit, he's saying, I am here. He said, I am the true vine. Abide in me and you will produce fruit. Now hear me. Text moves on in verse 1. It says, God is the vine dresser. The vine dresser does two things. He removes the unfruitful branches, and number two, he prunes all the other branches. So Jesus, don't miss it, he's the vine, God is the vine dresser, and believers are the branches. Don't miss what is happening here. Sometimes it's very easy when you're reading the Bible to miss what Jesus is talking about. It's easy to miss it, don't miss it. Jesus says every branch that is in me, in verse 2, that does not bear fruit, he, meaning God, the vine dresser, takes away. And in verse 6, it says the fruitless branches are thrown into the fire. They're burned up. But on the other hand, the ones that are in Christ, the text says, they do and do bear fruit, God, he starts pruning them. He prunes them so that they can produce more fruit. Now the question becomes, what does it mean to be in Christ? Because both of them are said to be in Christ. Y'all see that? Don't miss it. So hear me, to be in Christ, this is key. It means to truly believe in Christ. But the problem, again, is that it says that both of them are in him, but one doesn't produce fruit and is burned up, and one does. Now, don't miss this. What Jesus is really saying is that there are many people out there that say that they are in me, but they really don't believe Y'all just missed it. He says, they don't really know me. He says, they're they're simply nominal at best. Christian by name, but they really do not believe. They come to church on Sunday, they go to Wednesday night Bible study or group for us, They, 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 they hang out with some Christians, but when it really comes to trusting God, they don't. When it comes to trusting Jesus with their whole lives, they don't. See, this is the person that believes at the beginning and at the end of the day that they know more than God. They may not say that, but they actually do believe. I know more than God. They refuse to pray about decisions. They refuse to consult others about the decisions. And if they do, at the end of the day, they choose to trust their heart where the Bible tells us in Jeremiah seventeen nine that the heart is deceitful above all things who can understand it other than God who searches and knows the heart. Jesus in this passage, what he's doing is he's juxtaposing or contrasting the believer and the non-believer. Believer, non-believer. And see, here's the hard part about this text is that he's not talking about the person that just flat out says, I don't believe in Jesus. Don't miss that. That's not who he's talking about. He's not talking about that person. He's talking about the one that can say all the right things. They can provide lip service, even come to church every week. But at the end of the day, their life isn't about glorifying God. It's about glorifying themselves. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. This is Judas and the 12 disciples. He's rolling with Jesus, he's, he's kicking with Jesus, he's eating with him, he's at the Last Supper, he's sitting right there next to Jesus. But then when they throw that bag of silver in my man's face, he's like, shoot, I can advance my status. Jesus, man, I was just eating with him. Y'all wanna, y'all wanna go get Jesus? Come on, just make sure you give me my money. Th- that's Judas, that's him in the text. And see, here's the problem. Because we can tend to shake our heads at Judas how could you betray Jesus? But in actuality, we all got a little Judas in us. Y'all don't like that, but it's true. Let's be honest this morning. Some of y'all are like, nah, Pastor D. Not me, Jesus till I die. We roll together, that's my roll dog. Nope, I'm with Jesus. Now nah, we all got a little Judas in us. Y'all don't believe me though. Let me ask you, this week, seven days in a week, How many times did you roll out of bed and just sit there and thank God for waking up another day instead of taking it for granted? Simple. How thankful were you this week that you got up another day because you didn't have to get up? Better yet, let me ask you another one because maybe y'all didn't get with me on that. How many times did you thank God that your car started when there's people out here that don't even have shoes? How many times did you thank God for the job that you do not like when there's people out here that can't afford a meal? How many times have you thanked God for your family, your house, your your spouse? Shall I keep on going with this? The point is that we all tend to take Jesus and what he does for us a little for granted on a day-to-day basis because we truly don't abide in him. And the truth of the matter is, family, I already said it. We all got a little Judas in us. We all got a little Judas in us. So family, hear me. What I'm trying to get at is that abiding in Jesus is not like the one-stop quickie mart. You don't go in and get what you want and leave. Some of y'all don't even know what the quickie mart is. Let me, let me break this down a little bit for you. Y'all don't know what the quickie mart is, do you? Nope. Y'all don't know. What the, y'all Nope. Y'all didn't grow up in the hood. Okay. In Gary, Indiana, where I'm from, we didn't have a whole lot of grocery stores. It's what they call a food desert. There's not a whole lot of grocery stores around. So sometimes, since you couldn't make it to the grocery store, what we had, we had gas stations and we had corner stores towards what you call the Quickie Mart. And you can run in, you can get you some milk, you can get some eggs, you can get some chips, you can get what you needed. It was the quick place to go get something. You were in and you were out. It might have been a little bit more expensive because it's not the grocery store, it's the Quickie Mart. It's the one-stop shop where you could get everything you need and then you can leave. But see, here's the thing, some of y'all can get with me on this, when you grow up in the hood, you, you didn't hang out at the Quickie Mart though. It wasn't a place where you go and you're looking through all the aisles, you went in, you went out, you went in, you got what you want and you left. You know why? Because that's where the gangsters and the thugs hung out too. So it wasn't the safest place. You went into the Quickie Mart, you got what you want and you left. And see, here's the truth, I need y'all to follow me with this. Truth be told is that the modern day Christian, the so-called Christian today, treats Jesus like the quickie mark. You say you trust him for your salvation, but in everything else, you trust yourself or you trust something else. I- I'll give you this piece of my life, Jesus, but everything else is mine. I, I-, I can't give you all of I me. Mean, you can have this file in my life, but I got the whole cabinet, Jesus. Fol- folks say in their hearts or unconsciously, I got, I got max four hours for you, Jesus. I got two hours on Sunday and I got two hours on Wednesday or some other Bible study, that's all I got. The rest of the week is mine. I got all this under control. This is all I got for you, Jesus. I can handle it. We only run to Jesus when we have problems. And once we get what we want, it's like the quickie mart. we leave. Let me break this down a little bit more because some of y'all are missing what I'm saying because that may not be to you. Maybe, you, maybe you're saying, no, I don't know if that's me. W- w-. Here's the other thing. We might get what we want, and then we're too afraid to give him all of us or stay with him because we're control freaks. We want to control everything, and we can't fathom someone else, even God, having that much control over our lives. So instead of staying with him, we react fearfully. Don't miss this. We, act, we react fearfully, and we try to control everything in our lives, and we run in with God just like the quickie mart. We get what we want because we're fearful. We try to hold everything, and now we feel more secure because we're in control. Better yet, maybe, maybe, you're not, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not the control freak. Maybe you're the, the power-hungry person where you feel like you can accomplish all things. You don't need anybody else in your life. Here's the truth. That's the unsanctified Pastor D. That, that's me. At the end of the day, I feel like I could take on the world. And because of that, I have to repent on a day-to-day basis multiple times a day and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I went off on my own thinking I can handle it. Where do you want to take me? What do you want to do in my life, God? Use the gifting that you gave me to glorify you. But see, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not the power-hungry person. Maybe you're the person that needs to feel significant. Maybe you're searching for approval. So so you seek satisfaction everywhere outside of God, and you never find the approval of the people to be enough. You, You never have enough satisfaction in things or being the top dog at your company. And God is like, look, look, look. I need you to listen to me. He's saying to you, believe in me. All you need to do is believe in me and know that my approval and the significance of being a son and daughter of the king is enough. That's all you need, that's the approval you need. Uh Or maybe that's not you, maybe that's not you either. Maybe you're the person that just wants comfort in your life. You want everything to be just right, you want to be comfortable, so, so what you do is you, you, try, you try not ever to be stressed out. So you, you put up parameters, you put up boundaries around your life, over everything, and at the end you end up bored all the time because you do nothing because you don't want to mess up the comfort in your life. Friends, hear me, there is no such thing as a stress-free life. But on the other side, there's a man named Jesus who provides rest for the weary. So so hear me, don't avoid life by not doing things or trying to set up all these boundaries around you to achieve the comfort you desire. No, 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 no. Live life to the full, seeking to glorify God in all that you do. And when you get tired or you get weary, know what? There's a God on the side that says, just come to me like we sang that song this morning and he'll give you rest. Family, I'm not sure if you guys are following me this morning. Friends, what I'm trying to get at is that in all of this, what Jesus is really trying to say in this text is stop treating me like the quickie mark. Believe in me. Truly abide in me. Be the every second of every hour of the day Christian that seeks to glorify me in all that you do and in me and through me you will produce everlasting fruit hear me family the Christian walk is not about you being happy it's not about you living your best life now you may get some of that but what God is more concerned with is you producing fruit you know what fruit does Y'all, all of us have probably tasted fruit you know what fruit does It nourishes people, it feeds people, it helps the people that partake in it. He said, come to me, abide in me, and you'll produce fruit. Because just like that branch cannot produce fruit without the vine family, Christians cannot produce everlasting fruit without abiding in Jesus. And remember the text says, the vine dresser, God, he prunes the vine for its good. God wants you to flourish. He wants you to produce fruit. It says in the end that that so your joy may be full. He wants you to produce fruit that impacts others, so he prunes you. And that may be tough at times. That may be hard, but it's for your good and for his glory. God prunes his people. He prunes the church so that more fruit can be produced and the kingdom of God can advance. And family, this year at at Renewal, as our church is growing, my prayer is that we wouldn't just grow larger as a church, but as we grow larger, I want us instead to be a people that seeks to glorify God in all we do. Not just the Sunday-going Christian, but the Christian that glorifies God in everything. The, the Christian that the, that's the every second of every hour of the day saying, God, what do you want me to do? Because when we do that, the fruit that we produce lasts for eternity. Hear me, y'all. God, again, is, not, is glorified not just by praise and worship alone, but by his followers also bearing fruit for the achievement or the advancement of his kingdom. Y'all have heard me say this before, but you know true believers by the fruit that they bear. When a true believer is in a room or he's in the community or he's in a school, it should change things. It should affect things around him. That true believer is bearing fruit that it impacts and affects other people. Jesus does not save you and I that believe just for our good. He saves us for the good of other people and for him. Family, hear me. Let's not be the church that's just a show-and-dance type of church. Some of y'all know what I mean, but what I mean is, let's not be the church that just looks Christian. Let's not just be the church that looks Christian, where we have the great services, and and we lift our hands with 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 the lights and the cameras and the action, and all these things happen, but when we leave out those doors, it's back to normal. Jesus is now in the backseat of the car. No, no, let's not be that church, but let us be the church where our worship is real, where our hands are lifted up and the worship is contagious where people lift their hands and now, now they're carrying each other's burdens. They're crying with one another because they're thankful for what God has done in their lives. Let us be the church where that type of worship is contagious, where people walk in those doors and they see us worshiping. They hear the preached word and they fall to their knees and say, I need this too. And what they're really saying is i need jesus let us be that church family let us be the church that simply is less consumed with our own individual accolades and more consumed with helping our brother or our sister out because when we do that now we're edifying the full body of christ family let's be the church that abides and believes in christ realizing how good he has been to us when he did not have to be. Y'all hear me, y'all. Jesus did not have to come down out of heaven. Y'all know that, right? Jesus did not have to die and take our sin debt on the cross. Jesus didn't have to go to the grave and then raise three days later. Jesus still does not have to sit and intercede on our behalf in between us and God. So when God looks down, he's not looking at your mess. He's seeing his son Jesus and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus doesn't have to do any of that. Y'all hear me. He is good. He's good. And when I sit and understand the goodness of my Savior family, there's no other place that I'd rather be. There's no other place that I'd rather abide than in Christ. He has all that I need, family. Let us be that church who truly abides in Christ, and because of that, we see renewal in this city. Amen? Family, hear me. God's vision for the church at large is that it would bear fruit, that it would bear fruit. And the kingdom of God would advance and if that's God's vision then it should be our vision too next week when we come back we're we're gonna for part two of the vision series we're gonna look at what and who is this fruit actually and how we practically produce it amen let's pray father thank you so much for this morning you're a good God we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're a good God when you don't even have to be, but you so choose to be that for us, God. Lord, I pray that we never forget that. As we sit here and we lift our hands and we worship and we hear the priest's word, God, that it wouldn't just be a formality or a checklist item in our week, but it would describe and resemble the lives we live, God. That you'd be lifted up not just on Sunday morning, but you'd be lifted up throughout every day of our lives. God, may you get the glory. May we be a people that truly abides in you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen.